Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance, and I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Do you know the rules of the game? I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Can you make me that? If you can't make me that, I won't talk to you. You shouldn't even get this tape. Hey, I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper, all I know is broad money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on do what I want to do, have kids, go live my chip and joy in a game life out here in Texas or struggle for next year. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Your boy, David Bellard, one-fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance. Check it out on my co-host, fellas. How y'all feeling? What up, what up, what up? It's your boy, Jalen, here, checking in. Feeling great. It's another Saturday. It's feeling lovely. I'm great, man. How you doing over there, my brother? Feeling good, man. I'm in the, I'm actually in my truck recording. Had a terrible start to the day. Somebody tried to steal some items in my truck, but I'm all right. Oh, man. 
Yeah, somebody broke in and tried to steal some stuff out of my company truck, man. Nah, man. Yeah. I hate to hear that, man. That's a, it's a lesson to all the following. Make sure you don't keep no valuables in your truck. Yeah. And man, lock your shit, too. Nah, he unlocked it. It was locked. They unlocked it. Damn. Oh, they, they wanted your stuff. Yeah. Jared, how you living, bro? Hey, man, I'm making it. I'm making it. Hey, oh, man. that's all we can do. Hey, my brother, what's up? Jared, how you doing? <laughs> what's good, man? Yeah. But y'all, we got yet another fire episode for y'all. On this episode, we got my good brother, originally out of Denmark, ripping out of New York right now. He's a writer, real estate investor, serial entrepreneur, editor, man, creator of Wealth Lab, brother of many talents and trades, my good brother, Philip Michael. Philip, how you doing? Doing fantastic. How you all doing? Look like you're doing great. Hey, man, it's always good in our neighborhood, man. We, we living good in BWR always. Yo, when you got the vibration of success, it just emits from your being. So you can't help but put a smile on anybody's face and making them feel empowered. As Amen I'm feeling right now. So, yes, I'm excited. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show, my brother. Of course, anytime. We're just going to jump right on into it. Let's do it. Our following that is not familiar with you, can you just give them your background? Like, how'd you grow your media company? What, what did well, it take? Like, how did it happen? Well, my media company really is one of our least valuable from a dollars and cents standpoint, subsidiaries. Really, our main objectives for my companies, which is nice companies, is to empower. The overall mission that we have internally is to empower 100,000 millionaires of color. And what that means is helping them kickstarting their journey to becoming millionaires or, or first-time investors or just going out there because that's how then it just spreads and people create tribes of like-minded people. So that's just what we want to do now. Our main business, obviously, is real estate development. That's where all the value is. We have four active real estate developments we're doing right now. One's called The Summit. It's a 100-unit high-rise project in Jersey City, which the time we bought it, I think this still is the case. It was the first black-owned uh, high-rise in Jersey City. Jersey City is one of the neighborhoods of New York City Metro. We got another one up the street from that. It's a 10-unit smart tech development in Jersey City as well. And then two was well, one large, but in two phases in Philadelphia by Temple University. And it's in these areas, they say, are gentrifying. So I think it's cool if we can, you know, everybody looks at that as a bad word. I don't think it's necessarily the case. It just means upgrading a neighborhood. The gentrification connotation, however, is that it's upgrading at the expense of those who lived there before and pushing them out. So I said, yo, let's build it up, bring people in to own a piece of it. And that's what it's about. But the main thing is offering access to investments, offering information about investments so you can do it on your app to do it. You can do it do, as long as you go out there and do something because it's important for the next generation. So that's what we do. I just use my media background, which was come from radio, TV, writing back in the day. And I knew I wanted to get into asset building and real estate. So I said, okay, I'll go with a real estate media company because I had nothing to offer. I was what, 30 years old, 31 at the time, like looking like I do had nothing. No, I didn't even... I didn't even have my green card yet, and I definitely didn't have any money. So what are you going to do with me? But if you have the platform, they'll talk to you. You guys know that. So that's how you build your network, worked it up, became part of management there, and then we sold it off. And from there, I leveraged that network to buy my first building and it just took off from there. So that's my journey. I knew nothing, just got started and tried to minimize and minimize my learning curves, like, like limit my learning curves to as few as possible. So the things that can go wrong are manageable because there's always shit that happens, right? So that's how we got started. That's how I went about. And that's really just what I'm sharing with people that look, you don't need a lot. You don't need to know a lot. You just need to do and act. 
this life. So that's really the quote unquote secret behind any type of successful enterprise or any enterprise that gets some sort of traction is just to go on out there and execute. Yeah. And you mentioned it on your Instagram once that you came to this country, you only had $79 and then you got started as a real estate investor. And now you kind of give me some background onto it. Like it really was just networking because your network is your network. Yeah. Yeah. To some extent, because I didn't really get any like handouts or backing the way I did it with was myself and a partner. We bought an effort. We bought a property in Jersey city, same neighborhood that I'm developing in right now with an FHA loan because you only have to put three and a half percent down. We saved up, put our money together. I didn't have credit or anything like that. My partner did. So I was like, all right, let's do it. So that's how I came about. But I can't, yeah, I arrived in New York with $79 in a PayPal account. And I actually told myself I never wanted to write again. I wanted to stop it back in 2010 because I realized it's not money in this. The money's in the money, right? Wealth building, real estate. So I had already applied for business school. I got into business school. But the only way that I could make money without like having a work visa, I was winning writing competitions because I knew how to do that. It's not like I enjoy doing it. I don't even like writing, but I just know how to. So that's sort of what kicked it off. But once you have a platform, as you guys know, you have some sort of influence. And that's uh, not influence, but you have leverage, you know? So, but yeah, 79, I got a hostel in Queens for three nights for $55.23. I still have the receipt. I found it a few months ago. Like, wow. And then I did one writing gig for 150, extended my stay, and then found some steady work for $500 a week. And I just started saving up from there. My rent was like six fifty a month. So I saved up. I just saved up as much as I could. So I finally had like $10,000 again. And then I teamed up with my partner. We went and, went and bought it. Because again, $750,000 to buy that. You just do the math. What's three and a half percent of that? It's around $25,000. So that's how I came about. So it wasn't even that anybody would. Although I will say this right now, I, which is crazy, actually. There was a guy at the time the same age that I am now. And I met him at the event because I had hit up this media company, the one that I ended up becoming a director for. And I saw this young developer. I didn't know what a developer was. They said, oh, he's a guy, he's building these different buildings. Like, oh, okay. So I asked him, hey, I'm looking to get started in real estate. He's like, oh yeah, what are you looking to? I said, I'm looking into a condo. He did like this with his face. I said, why do you make that face? I said, look, you don't want to buy a condo. There's only one lease. But if you buy something with more units, you can still make money even if there's a tenant that's leaving. Like vacancies, what's I call the vacancy factor. So I was like, hey, that makes a lot of sense. So I said, if I look at some deals, do you mind if I send it to you? Can you give me some, give me thoughts? He's like, yeah, absolutely. He gave me his email. This is a guy that builds skyscrapers. He didn't know me. So we, we end up speaking. And ironically, I live in the building now that he developed. Like full circle. And it's one of his like Manhattan skyscrapers. I live in that now. It was like crazy, right? So, and he, and I'm the same age he was then when we spoke. So that was a little wild, but that was the only thing. He gave me some advice, like that advice. That's probably the only thing. But I did use my media. Every time I would interview somebody as part of like my media gig, I would make sure, I would just ask one question. For instance, the owner of the World Trade Center, I asked him just one question. How do I get one of those? Because like World Trade Center's accomplice, he was in one of the towers. So behind him was that tall one that you guys see. I said, how do I get one of those? He just started talking. Like I have the recorders that he just started talking. So that was the only thing. But other than that, it was really just the FHA, which everybody has access to. I mean, granted, if you're, if you're above a 580, yeah, you're above 580. You You have to be in the system. I didn't even have a social, so it was a little difficult, but you know. You even have a green card, man. Yeah, so, but you just got to figure it out because if you don't have it yourself, people say, oh my God, I I knew I can't do it. No, so how about that? You find somebody that does, bring somebody, bring something else to the equation. Go look for the properties, bring the money, 
put the things together, be resourceful. You know, there's many ways to add value outside of just all the things by the book. So, hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. What, what brought about this, like, this want for you to become a developer, like, what brought about that curiosity? Or what, did you always want to get into real estate as a child? Or was this something that once you got older, you kind of knew, okay, I need this in order to start really making money? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I realized that. So my dad owned properties. He has some apartment buildings. He liked buying single family properties for some reason. So he'd buy condos and like vacation homes. And although he would do a few developments with his brother, he has a, an office like, what do you call it? No, not a retail. Like, it's like a Walmart, and they own the building that leases to the a version of a Walmart back in Denmark. But anyways, I saw that that had influence. When I came to New York, I had written in my business school application, actually, I wanted to own property in London, New York, Miami, and Denmark. So I remember writing that. So I think it was in the back of my mind when I realized I'm going to get into business. This is wealthy people seem to have is real estate. It seemed like a safe investment. I just didn't really understand it. And I was still intimidated a little bit by how money works because you think it's a lot tougher than it is. So I just stayed away from it because nobody likes to feel like an idiot. That's the whole thing. People have to embrace starting to feel like it because it's not a bad thing. It means you're opening your mind, you're learning. But most people don't like to feel like I didn't like to feel like that, so I left it alone. And once I went through business school and like, which was, I realized this is outdated crap. And I put it on such a pedestal and I realized this is nothing really. And you learn more just from just having your own business. You just learn more innately. So, but Long story short, I came here. I had to use my media expertise, even though I was years past wanting to do anything in it, to sort of get to where I wanted to go. And that was one way. But I always had my sights set on real estate. Once I came to New York and saw all the players of influence were making their money in real estate. So I thought that that was, okay, I need to go in that direction. Plus, the fact that I didn't have a social, it was a nightmare to find places to live. And it was like shady stuff all the time. So I'm like, I'm never going through this. Like, I'm going to have my own. I'm going to have my own crap. And I'm going to be the person who picks and chooses. So that was really where it came from. That's really where it came from. Yeah. Well, for some of the following that may not know, can you go into what a developer is and what they may do? Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Because I didn't know that. All right. So a developer is a real estate investor. A developer is a person that builds a building and then rents it out. That's a developer. Like that develops the real estate. He goes out. He buys the land. He goes through getting the, He's like, okay, he hires an architect to say, hey, this is what I want to build here. Then he, gets, then he gets the financing together, gets the money together. It could be his own money. It could be like getting investors. That's 99 out of 100 times. That's how it works. He gets the investors together. He builds the project. He manages the project. That's what a developer does. It's just a real estate investor. Real estate investor is just like, that could be somebody that flips or whatever. But a developer is somebody that takes the bills, not the builders. You hire the contractor and the builder, they do the actual work. But the developer is the one that owns everything. 
like a CEO of a building. That's what a developer is. Yes. But you're not really a developer if you just buy finished real estate. That's not development. Mm -hmm. That's just investing. That's just asset management. But actually building it, and that's what a developer does. You got to take it through the full circle from ground up to managing it. Exactly. Exactly. In the real estate industry, they liken it to a movie producer, a movie director that goes out, gets the money, gets the actors, put the vision into place, and then puts it out there. So I suppose there's an analogy you can use. I don't really love it, but I guess it makes a little bit of sense. But, but it's not that complicated. It's just like piece of land. I want to build this here. Figure out how to get it built. Rent it out or sell it. You know. So. Okay. So Philip. So anybody that would be interested in being a real estate developer, like, what would you suggest be the first step that they take? I really had no interest in getting into development. To be honest with you, because I knew I knew nothing about it. I had properties that were just like smaller ones with tenants. So I'm like, let me just stay in my lane for now, master this. And each property, every time I refinance or every time I get, I move up and get another one, you know, you always want to grow intelligently, not too many steps ahead because it's when you can find yourself in trouble. Then one of the ones we bought, which had three units, two bedrooms and one storefront. So I said, I feel like it's an evolution of what I'm doing. Cause like one up the street had three apartments. So I did one with retail, Different type of tenant, different type of lease. I'm learning from it. I got hooked up with a lawyer who just doubled the building rights. So it's like, okay, you guys can build. Because what we wanted to do with this two two bedrooms is turn them into four one bedrooms. Increase the rent and get the value that way. But nothing too dramatic, getting permits, just like chopping them up. Then we actually got the rights to double the amount of apartments we could have. Instead of having three units, we could have 10. So I'm like, oh my God. So now, okay, that... So once that happened, that now makes me a developer because now the asset has tripped the building is tripled in value because a building is a value based on a few things. Either it's based on the income that it generates. And if there's no income there, then you look at it like price per square foot of the land or price per, if you have permits and it's price per buildable square foot, meaning can you build a hundred thousand square feet here? Then you find a price based on that. If there's no rights to build anything, then it's like, what's the price per square foot of the land? So we actually had an increased value of the building because what we are allowed to build were so much more. So it was worth so much more. So I'm like, I guess I'm a developer now. Then I went and bought a piece of land in Philadelphia. And I'm like, I call up my dad because me and my dad and my nephew to put it together. I'd asked them to join me at first. They were like, no. It's like, then he came, my dad came over and saw it. He's like, okay, I want in. So it was like this piece of land. So I was like, I said, pop, I guess we're developers now. So we got to figure out how to develop this thing. So that's how that happened. I really didn't want to. I just wanted to stick to like smaller properties, but it just took off from there. Like sometimes it just comes your way that way. <laughs> Most definitely. And so whenever you got into that role, mm-hmm. I kind of look at it like as you're being a coach too. What, yeah. What's some of the players you had to add to your team in order to make that successful? Well, you got a couple of things when you have a developer. Uh, number one, I always like to find people all right, let me start from scratch. You got to have a lawyer because they got to get the, you got to get the contracts to buy it. They got to get the, uh, you got then you have to have what's called a land use. Basically with zoning to get the rights, you got to have one of those. You got to have an engineer. You got to have an architect. So there's quite a few things there you got to put together. And then you have to go get the permits. Once you have the permits, then you got to get a general contractor to give you, and the most basic form is, okay, I have this property here. This is what I need to build. 
what are you going to charge me for it? Then you just bring in prices from a bunch of people, the ones based on a track record, references and price or whatever, or whatever makes you feel comfortable. That's the one you pick. And then you build it. And then you want to make sure that you run your numbers. You say, okay, if this costs me, let's say a million dollars to build this, including soft costs, soft costs are legal engineering and so forth, hard costs, construction. So all in, if it costs a million dollars, buying the land, soft costs, hard costs, if that's a million and the value of it will be two million, then it's a good move to make. If it turns out the value will be 800,000, you should leave that project alone. So but those are the people that you have to go get. It's the engineers, like there's, there's structural, there's MEP, there's civil. Like it's a whole cottage industry of people out there. And I'm pretty sure that's going to be disrupted because that's too many. I'm just thinking right now as I'm saying, there's too many people, there's too many people with their hands in the pot, man. So yeah, but that's who you want to do. But again, the general contract, you want to make sure you have people that have done this many times before. So if you're new, your inexperience doesn't become a disadvantage because they've done it so many times. So you're actually learning from the process. Yeah. So that's the development process. So how do you, how do you find these people? What is the process of finding these people and putting them together? Um, finding them? Let me see. Architect, you just look on, like, you just look online and you just start with Google and you see who you, who's, or then you can go look at some property and see what, who's the architect there? Whose work do you like? Then you start talking with people. Then you can find people who are developing stuff. You can call them like, hey, I got this project. Would you guys be interested in the chat? Da, 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 da. It just sort of comes together that way. Then they have a network of people. It's like when you, if you deal with an electrician, he always knows somebody that can, he always knows a plumber. The plumber always knows this and that, you know, and it sort of comes together that way. And then you just sort of see, so you got to have that. And then on your team operationally, you just got to have, I have the same people since 2017, pretty much people that, you know, that I trust. So, and, but the team, the team is constantly growing on our end. We've grown a lot lately, but it's the same core of people that you trust. So just like you guys, you got, you have a relationship there and, that just has a level of trust there where you don't have to worry about some Johnny come lately that just jumps into the fray. You know, like, well, who's this, who's this person? Not that you dislike the person, but they haven't been through the trenches and stuff like that. So, you know, there's always that. And it's the same thing, like being a developer is just being a real estate entrepreneur. And that process mentally and emotionally is no different than being a media entrepreneur like you guys are. Mm-hmm. I have one more question with the development. You touched on uh, getting permits and all those things. Mm-hmm. What's the process of getting permits for somebody that is unfamiliar with it? You see, that's the beautiful thing is your architect has gone through the process. So you adopt his expertise. So you're not vulnerable because you don't have any. He has it. Then you just ask him a million questions. How does this process work? And I tell everybody that I work with, I get everybody on a conference call immediately. It's like, look, I usually always, man, I'm about to be exposed here. I always chalk it up to, I tell them all the time, I'm from another country. We do things differently. So I may ask questions on a sixth or seventh grade level. They go, oh yeah, fine. And I can spot if somebody tries to take advantage of that. So it's not a problem. Most of the time, all the time, really, they go, okay, good. And they explain things and they simplify it. And then I just make sure I ask the right follow-up questions. So does this mean this? And then I use my common sense. And then it's like, look, why don't we do this? And a lot of times they're so entrenched in routines and how they used to do things. And because I know nothing is such an advantage. I'm like, why don't we do this? They would say something like, we got to prepare this package to get this. Like, why don't we just call the decision maker and see if they would approve it before we do all the work? That type of thing. You know, like common sense. Because like, it's a human being that's sitting there. Let's just have a call with them. Say, if we can get this instead of, I wanted to get like extra floors or something like that. And then let's just figure out if they open to them before we spend a lot of money, which is good for these, which is good for the consultants, obviously. So let's just do it this way. 
So, but it's good to have a, it's like with anything, have a project manager and the architect often is the project manager. So, and then you just, so you're just limited to making a decision and that's fantastic. Hey, that's that delegation. Get your hands out of all the pots. That's it. That's it. And I kind of want to zoom out a little bit. Sure. You were talking about just being an entrepreneur in general. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. With you, I I can tell that, you know, if you've done a few different ventures. Mm -hmm. um, So how does, because like you said, you you went to business school and just owning a business teaches you so much more than actually than what they're teaching you in the classroom, because now you're learning by application. Mm -hmm. How much more of an advantage did they give you whenever you started your next venture or any venture after that? Well, it's not much much that we started new ventures. It's just departments and division within what we do. Like with Wellflap, most people have like a corporate block. I said, no, we're going to do it like that. We're going to have an actual media franchise because I know how to run like an operated digital media companies. Like I just like, and the process is not as complex as we might think. So I'm like, let's use those best practice methods and use that here and form community around that. So we had these monthly events as part of Wellflap, which all builds the community of people that want to go out there and get it, right? Some of them come into investing in the building. And again, it doesn't really mean much because the amount is so little. It is just the emotional, it's just a feeling of like, now I own something. It gives you a level of, of pride and like, it's like, wow, I need to do more. I'm starting because I need to do more. Right. So but in order, but but to answer your question, how much does business school give me an event? It didn't give me nothing. It taught me nothing no, in terms owning, of owning, owning your own. Oh, owning. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's just you learn problem solving. You learn the best advice I could give to somebody if someone were to ask me. Because people say, see, people are always looking for the shortcut. People say, Can you mentor me? And what they're really asking is, can I be where you are with you? And then most people get no. It's not how it works. The best, people have to go, you just have to go through the trenches. One of the best advice I can give somebody is like, go out and find a high growth startup. Went into series A, series A stage, like they play, say they've raised five, six, seven million or something like that. So they know, or even less, raised two million. So you can see it's a real enterprise that's actually going places and it's been vetted, vetted by investors, vetted by the market. You get what I'm saying? Instead of just some idea. To hell with an idea, it means nothing. It's not executed on and getting traction. You got the best idea in the world, executed poorly means nothing. You got a really bad idea, executed well, and it will blow up before it blows up, I guess. So that's what I would say. Find one of them, take an unpaid six-month sales internship. Because usually salespeople work on commission, and then they get, then they get that, uh, then they got to get those. To hell with all that. Just go there six months. You'll learn more in those six months than you will learn in four, five, six years of business school and college. Simply because as a salesperson, you got to figure out strategies. You got to learn human psychology. You got to learn how to listen, which is the best management skill, leadership skill that I can think of. Pay attention to detail, understanding of money, understand deal structures. Again, problem solving, all these things. So that's what I would say where you get the most traction from and the most growth from. So I would say owning a business, to answer your question, is the absolute best way, is the best way. You know what's funny? I sat with a friend of mine yesterday who's interviewing with something called Boston Consulting Group. Have you guys heard of those? Mm-mm. All right. So in business school, the most prestigious things you can do are investment banking and management consulting. There's McKinsey, then there's Bain, then there's um, Boston Consulting Group, and there's a fourth one that I forget. And she was interviewing with them. They have these case studies where you have to basically break down how to grow a business. And now for me, going through the process of that, I looked at one. I used to nerd these because I wanted to get into that. Me and my friend, we used to nerd these and try to understand them. I took a look at them and I dissected them in seconds. 
just to because you just learned that. You just learned that, you know, and then you don't get that from school. You don't. You have to be in the trenches to get that. But, you know, you, you often get that everyone's not meant to own a business. Everyone's not meant to do this. So That's the point. What do you say to people who feel like, you know, I'm not worthy to be an entrepreneur or I really don't want to be an entrepreneur. I know your goal is at least to start the idea of investing and owning something, though. So how do you go about those people who kind of give you that backflash or you don't even really worry about it? Uh, well, I don't get that much, but I understand it because I actually I was riding up to Central Park and I was thinking about this. The best life, to be honest with you, the best life you live while you're living is the one where you're really just comfortable. You're going to die with regrets. You're going to be in your deathbed full of regrets, but your life as is, is going to be sweet. You're not really going to be, because if you elevate and you grow, people say they want that, but it comes with so much pain. Mm -hmm. It comes with so much pain, like discomfort. Mm. It comes with so much headache. It comes with something. You get pushed to the spectrums of your emotional and human capacity. Emotionally, you'll, be, you'll get your heart broken. You'll feel betrayed. You'll basically get everything. Let's say you're in love. Nah, I'm making it sound worse than it is. But I think this will resonate. Let's say you're in love with a woman and she betrays you and leaves you. And that type of heartbreak, that's what you'll have to go through in entrepreneurship. Just assume, maybe not that bad, but just assume that's what you have to go through as you elevate because you're going to lose friends that are not where you want to go. You're going to have blow up with family members, perhaps. There's going to be stuff like that in your journey. There's going to be deals that fall apart last minute because you don't have the experience to see how you can save that. And then you learn from that, which allows you to just think about it. And I started thinking, the only one that I've seen really be Teflon in his growth, and I said, that's Jay-Z. But even he hasn't been, because if you look in his, like in his past, all his people he did business with are do nothing but badmouth him. And then he, he's ignoring them, really, but I'm sure it hurts. That type of thing, because like in his mind, he just outgrew them and they didn't grow along with them. And so he just, you know, so that's the thing. So, yes, everybody's not meant to. Be, everybody has the capacity to be an entrepreneur because mm -hmm. as human beings, we're hardwired to preserve life. So we will handle anything because if that wasn't the case, then homeless people to sit around and have no money. How the heck are they alive? Think about this for a second. People are naturally survivors and resourceful and will find a way to make it through whatever that make it through looks like. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so everybody has the capacity to, maybe not everybody wants to be a business owner. Some people just like to be, and that's cool. Work from nine to five, cash your check. As long as they invest and have other streams of income or investments on a nest egg that can pass along to their children. I actually think that's, I'm starting to understand that that's okay. Not everyone is meant to be a, a business owner, but it's just to have the information and have to get, at least when people come to the realization, yes, I could be a business owner, but it's not for me. It's not for mm -hmm. my temperament, but you still build something for your family. You build wealth through passive investment, investing in bonds, investing in real estate with other people. You don't have to mm -hmm. be the entrepreneur. Investing in businesses with other people. You don't have to be the one that does it. And that's an entrepreneur in your own right, just a passive one. So yes, a lot of people, I don't, I don't think necessarily it's for everyone because again, me and, my, me and my nephew, we talked about a family member. He's not happy about life. We thought about like, yo, he's got the best life ever. He has... He's never hungry. He lives perfectly. He has a beautiful family. He gets to travel the world, all this and that. He thinks in the moment that he's struggling, but nothing bad ever happens. Mm -hmm. Only the flip side, there's always a trade-off. If, if you get tremendous success, you're going to have a tremendous, just as much success as somebody has, just as much uh, mm -hmm. pain, discomfort. Discomfort. That just, it just comes with that, which is why people don't, when they say rich people agree, they don't want to give it away. Yeah, but as rich as you think they are, 
they've gone through so much as well to get there. Mm -hmm. So much to get there as well. So, and then you guys know that like people was like, yo, put me on, whatever. It's like, you wouldn't last a week dealing with some of the crap we dealt with when we're trying to start out. You guys know you guys know. I don't even know what the situation is, but I know one exists. <laughs> yeah, trust me. <laughs> go through it every day. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, man. So, so, I'm kind of glad that you kind of brought it. What'd you have, David? Because I kind of want to speak about the mental of an entrepreneur. Talk, talk about it. Let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah, man. Talk. Like, just for a lot of people, I don't know if you have a lot of other friends who are kind of like entrepreneurs, but I see it across the board. Like, we deal with a lot of stress and things like that. So, like, what's your advice to how can you deal with some of the stresses that comes with being an entrepreneur? When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. You know what's crazy is, and to ask your question, yes, my, uh, the people I speak to the most is one, my two, my two people that I work with the most on a day-to-day -day basis. And I speak to my nephew and like, I just make sure that I protect like my energy. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't mean to sound like, like all spacey, but I protect my energy and I want to talk to people who are on an upward growth trajectory, not stagnant, not going down. And if I spot that, I immediately remove myself. That's just what it is, which can suck for some people sometimes, but you have to try to bring them up. But if you realize sometimes, you know, the saying you can lead a horse to water and won't drink. Mm -hmm. if, if that's a situation, you just have to leave the horse alone and hope it comes back later. You know, that type of situation. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do. And my friends are mostly people that are outside of that. The people I talk to the most is a friend from Denmark. He has a business. He was selling it for about 65 million. And another friend of mine, and we're working together on a project, specifically with the Temple Project. He has his own business. There's like one awards. And he dealt with some stuff too, because he got aired out in the press on some lies. It was like some lies. I was offended for him. He's, I, was, I don't even mention, I don't even say too many particulars because, and he was just, and that was one of those stress factors and it wasn't true when it wasn't fair. So I was like, yo, I know the owner of this magazine. I can, I can mm -hmm. put you in touch with him. And I did. And he's like, just leave it alone. You know, he's like, the, what is it? The lie runs sprint and the truth runs marathon, some shit like that, whatever. So, but those are one of the stresses, but what it does is here's the punchline, if you will, those pains usually come right before you're growing, like before something good happens, right? Isn't it funny? Like that discomfort, as long as it's, mm -hmm. so I've learned that it's just an indicator of, it's, you think about it, like when you're doing those last, if you're doing push-ups, those last reps that hurt the most, which is where all the growth comes from. So mm -hmm. I just look at that feeling as though I have a personal trainer that's pushing me beyond my comfort zone. And mm -hmm. sometimes it can come in the form of something that seems like, wait a minute, this ain't right. But it's just a signal that you're, growing so that's just mm -hmm. so that's how i look at those things to deal with that and just realize because because when think about this not said to us spoke to Martin, my nephew about this when something bad has happened to you has it come with a warning ever do you feel that we feel bad and then something bad happens no it's usually something good happens so it's like when you don't expect it it could be like yo this is messed up what just happened now but even that in itself is a growth opportunity when that does mm -hmm. happen so so i've just learned to accept look i'm a human being i have emotions and I can feel, I won't feel good about something that's happening, but it'll pass and you're just shedding your skin and you come out even, something else happens. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I can give you a million examples. Give me a million <laughs> examples. I mean, have you guys had something where it's like, man, this is messed up, and then a big opportunity came along? Yeah. No, like uh, always. It's always how it goes. But most people quit when they get this discomfort, though. They think it's a sign to step back to what they were doing before, which is what you tried to escape in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, man, that is you said something in there at the beginning, too, that I just want to touch on because I still think it's like the most important thing through everything you mentioned was that you got to surround yourself with people who are similar to you and think like you so that whenever you come across these hard times, these difficult things and these opportunities, you have a support system that can help push you through that versus you going back to what's comfortable, going back to the things that you're trying to change. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, yes, absolutely. That you have it because people understand it. So, and also if people are other people, if it's people that you have in your circle who are actually doing stuff and have the right mindset and they're doing cool things in life and they have that type of that energy around them, you tend not to dwell on the crap. You just, so my friend was, what it did for him was without getting into specifics was that it was actually something that could be hurtful to his core business, but it made him create like these change to, to pivot a little bit, change the model somewhat, had, have new revenue streams. And next thing you know, like it actually became a net positive because his business runs more efficiently and effectively. It's not as, it's not as exposed to whatever happens with the pandemic. It's sort of pandemic proof. And it just forces you to go out there and create new things, you know, mm-hmm. because if you're really, if you're somebody who's, and that's the main thing when people go out there and try to raise money with just an idea, it's like, yo, you haven't been through the trenches. What's going to happen when you get that first smack in the face? Are you going to run back and lose your money or are you going to find another way to make it happen? So that's the thing right there. But yes, having that support system is uh, big, but it's also learning to problem solve and how to handle things. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, Phil. So I kind of want to pivot now. I want to sure. ask you a little bit more about digital media. So your company, Wealth Lab. Yeah. With Wealth Lab, how did you get Wealth Lab started and what is Wealth Lab about for anybody that's unfamiliar with it? Well, overall, again, is helping 100,000, that's a short-term goal anyway, to get become either uh, asset owners, first-time investors, and eventually millionaires. Because again, if you shift your habits with all the money that flows through minority communities, and then obviously the people who aren't minorities who then just shift their habits, because if they have a better, uh, if they have a head start, they'll get there also. Just change a few habits, it becomes an inevitability. So that's what we're doing by offering access to our real estate. It's all like, think of... Like, so nice is the parent company. We have the real estate there. And then Wealth Lab is like the community. And the way I started was that I wanted to put out information for people about starting a business, investing in real estate, investing in stocks, how it works, explaining these things. So that's really how I came about I'm just pumping out articles and hosting events every month. There haven't been any events now during the pandemic, but just like hosting events every month. And one thing we saw was people have a need. And I realized this myself when I was sitting in business school, like I would love to be around people who are doing stuff, but where do I find them? Like, and then people look on like meetups and stuff like that, but it's always, it always seems to be some BS. Like, and it's hard to find like, or Eventbrite, it's hard to find the stuff that's really valuable because there's so much out there and you don't necessarily know how to, to tell which is what. So we just wanted to put an event together where people could really come together and network and find new people to link with. Because if you come to this, that you in your mind already say, yo, I want to do something better with my life. I am here, but I think I can get even better. So how do I get even better? I need to find better people, essentially. And it sounds cutthroat, but it's really not. It's just that's what it is. And you can bring your people with you. And if they don't come along, that is what it is. It's some of the growing pains. But anyways, that's the reason we did it. And it became really popular and people came out. And yeah, so that's part of that. But it's all I call everybody, investors and 
subscribers, email subscribers on Wealthlab. I call them all the wealth gang. It's all part of the same family. So that's what that is. But it's just understanding digital media and how to leverage it. Most people call it content marketing. It's like, nah, who the heck? Think about this yourself. When you look at a company and then you have a blog, do you really trust that what they're saying is impartial? There's like, there's a bunch of ads. So I said, I wanted to have an editorially impartial media enterprise that doesn't really talk about what I'm doing, but just talks about the different forms of investments. Just putting the information out there, just spreading the, sharing the wealth, to the wealth of information, so to speak. That's all that is. It's similar to what you guys are doing because all it really is is planting seeds in people's minds that they can actually mm-hmm. teach. That's all that is. It's just a different vehicle for that. That's the same shit. It's the so, same shit. With it that you, you guys are doing events, mm-hmm. how have you kind of pivoted and uh, changed with the pandemic? Well, we haven't done any events, so we have to figure out what that's. But look, it was never, well, that part of the business, it was more so to get people together. That's really just mm-hmm. uh, break people. The actual, all the people that, like, so this is the truth of the matter, because people ask, do you do one-on-one coaching? Do I do this? And I like, not really. The people that follow me on Instagram or that follow up, they're not my customer. Tenants are for my buildings. You get what I'm saying? They're not the tenants. The tenants are in Philadelphia, the students. Actually, matter of fact, my customers, their parents that pays for their kids to be in there. That's my customer. So it's irrelevant. So I can just share the information with them so he can go out and do the same thing. I really don't have nothing to sell them because they're not my customers. But what I do want to bring to people is like, go out and do the same thing. Because if other people do, like, again, the developments that we are doing in the grand scheme of things, they're very small. In my industry, because it's a trillion dollar asset class, our properties are very small. But again, if, it's, if you look at it from an individual standpoint, it may sound impressive, but more people can do the same thing. Really, truly. So with that, that's really how, you know, you create a movement, not, at least I feel so. So that's, so that's what Wealth Lab before and the events. And we haven't done that much, but we, I've been doing, like I was doing a live show every night. I've been doing webinars in the past few weeks where there's a lot of people that signed up. So there's a form of it. Actually, again, with the pandemic, a lot of people folded up their tents, right? Then others go, okay, how do we turn this into a situation that's helpful? What I see is we're not confined by logistics and geography. I can now have more people that get the information. And then you can network via LinkedIn or Instagram now. So it actually creates, it actually opens up more doors, so to speak. But we are, our, wealth, our event series is called Open Stage. We're actually doing one in the next two weeks because we figured there's all these people. Like all it is is I'm bringing a speaker and we're having a conversation like we're doing right now. That's all it is. And then people can get to connect. And then with the people, they stand by themselves. They're not socializing. Then we have somebody that just runs up in their face with shots and makes them talk. Like this, like, and you know, alcohol will break any type of ice. Hey, you're not lying with that one. It was definitely what our plans whenever we was doing our events till Corona messed it. You guys were doing up. events? You y'all did events also? Yeah, we done we done like three or four uh, events. Really? What what were they like? How how did you guys do them? What was our first our very first event? It was a joint event in Dallas, here in Dallas with uh who who was it? What was the name of that? Uh uh that was with my boy Flex. It was like a little mixer. That was our first dabble in it. We did that almost a year ago. Then uh, we didn't do another one until uh, October. Yeah, we went to went to Atlanta. Atlanta, actually, and we uh we kind of we covered the grand opening of a Subway franchise that was black owned by uh, mm-hmm. it was like how old was Chris? Twenty five, twenty six. Twenty five. Yeah. Yeah. So we done an event there. We had like a meet and greet. And we done this live recording where we did a Q and A. Then the next day we got to host the grand opening. Then the next one we went to uh, New Orleans, and mm-hmm. that was our first one, like just by ourselves. And uh, 
we had like what 20 people show up but it was like it was really good like the energy was there people really got to connect we had people come from as far as like florida to show up so it was dope and then our next one after that we uh went to lafayette we were mm-hmm. in lafayette, louisiana our uh like close to our hometown and that one maybe about another i'd say 25 to 30 people. nah man that was closer to like 40 to 50 people in that room with uh yeah. what we did we partnered up with o'neill he was actually our first guest on our podcast a real estate investor and we just talked about real estate credit stock investing and just mm-hmm. giving our game to the people cool sweet that's fantastic that's what it's all about because at the end of the day if it's if I'm be at least for me, I share financial information, but it's really, it's not about the information itself because the information is widely available. It's a Google search away. You can easily find it and read about it. That's not it. But the thing is, when it comes to someone that doesn't look like the people who are listening, if it's something that they read, they will automatically associate it with something that is not for them. Think about it. We're getting real, real deep with it. There are certain things that we understand. Like I grew up with, my grandmother made me read before I went to school. He, she made me be like, and play violin, do all sorts of stuff to make me extra, which I didn't care for, to make me extra sophisticated. She said, because you're black, there's a limit on what you can do. Like, there's just, she literally said this to me. And then I'm like, I'd have to go throughout my life to untrain that, you know? But we have this, sometimes we think there's things that are not for us. So when we see the information, we just disregard it because we feel it's not for us in the first place. So when people hear it from me or hear it from you guys, it's not necessarily the information. It's number one, okay, it's understandable. So that's number one, okay, this makes sense. But the fact that it's coming from my mouth, it's coming from your mouth, it's not about the information itself. It's like, wait a minute, this actually is for me. So it activates mm-hmm. a sense of belief in yourself. And that's a fucking powerful feeling. That's a powerful feeling. Yes, and that's what, that is what will make people go out and do stuff. So it's not about the information. It's about that feeling of self-belief and self-empowerment that it activates. And that's why it's so profound. And with you speaking of self-belief and self-empowerment, I kind of want to talk more about nice companies too. And sure. your mission to empower 100,000 millionaires of color. So yeah, nice yeah. companies, I know you got a lot of major stuff going on. Y'all guys partnered with NASDAQ. You got the first fund y'all did, y'all closed that one out, but y'all just, y'all have the second one open still, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just uh, opened that one. We just opened that one. Well, what it is, is, all right, so that whole overall vision and mission of creating 100,000, empowering 100,000 people, by having this here, we're going to have an app where people can get access to investments. So, and one of the companies we're going to team up with is a company called Lex, and they created the first trading system for real estate. So they're going to have a number of massive buildings in New York City that can IPO on there. And that'll go on our app. So it's just offering more access to high level ownership. That's all that is. And what we did on there was just to get people access to that. That's all. That's all that was. So we closed it out on 727,000 and which leaves us because we have a million dollar cap before we can increase it again. And the rest we're doing on uh, Republic, which is uh, one of the largest investment platforms. They're very much behind backing founders of color. They're about diversity in business and venture capital. And they just acquired a company called Compound, which is a real estate tech company that offers access to real estate offerings as well. So that's why we came together to do the Temple Project, because the cool thing about that is it's in North Philadelphia, historically black neighborhood, but it's a massive school there that is 
in the top 10 in America, according to some, like some, one of the, the engineering school, I believe it is, but, but one of the other colleges there is top. It's a good school, is what I'm trying to say. And they are breaking records in enrollment and application and so forth, which means that there are outsiders coming in, which then means there's increased demand for real estate, which then means there's a lot of developers coming in. So what we were sort of doing there is like, okay, let's see if we can do some inverse gentrification and let the people who may not live there, but it's a historically black neighborhood, get them access to it. Mm-hmm. So it could be, you know, that type of thing. So that's what we're doing down there, just to create more people of more, more asset owners of color. Because again, I just put this out on Instagram today, the housing market. And I remember, we've got to make this distinction. The housing market is separate from the commercial real estate market. Housing market is just houses and stuff like that. But totally, income producing real estate and the housing market, not owning a piece of that is the number one driver behind the wealth gap with people of color and everybody else. And now the market is booming and it doesn't take that much. Another thing that I posted is there are properties with four apartments in it that cost 57,000, 79,000, which requires like two, three grand to own up to buy a piece of once you get it financed with the bank. So there's not really an excuse when you say, Hey, this is not for me. Like you said, with a business, Oh, business is not for me or investing is not for me. Look, 2000, I'm pretty sure all those people that say that probably spend more of that on like fun stuff throughout the year. So, that's what I would say. So that's the mission behind that, just offering that access. And it's also from a CEO standpoint, it's a real estate business on its own. If you look at the value of any business, you look at the multiples, meaning like you multiply what it generates and, and that's how you get your value. The multiples for a real estate business is very low. It, the top, any top REIT in New York is like a three and a half X multiple. Like what do they bring in? And three and a half times that is what it's worth. But if you look at Tech companies, it's like a 10x multiple. So your company could be bringing in a million dollars and it's worth $10 million versus three and a half. So it's just adding more technology components to it to enhance the value of the enterprise and therefore for anybody that invests with us. I hope that makes sense. I, like I think it's a pretty revolutionary idea with what y'all doing with it. Think so? Making commercial real estate like big skyscrapers available to your everyday investor. Because I don't think too many people are thinking about it like as a as a real asset class, but that's like almost slightly better to me than investing in like a REIT or something. Because instead of getting just a dividend payout, you're actually maintaining ownership of this as well. Yes. I mean, there are REITs that have direct ownership and then there are REITs that own plenty of properties. So yeah, I get your point. The thing is, the idea isn't that, well, I suppose, yes, in a way, you're right, because this is how people build wealth in private equity, which is also trillions of dollars. Like, this is literally how the wealthy people get rich by doing private equity investments that are closed off to people to call accredited investors, which means you have to make $200,000 a year, or you have to have a million dollars, you have to be worth a million dollars, not in, and excluding your primary residence, meaning your house, right? So it is there, it's just hasn't been open until like the past half a decade or so, but it's still relatively new. The REITs is one way, but it is becoming open out there. And it's just about creating the awareness because there is this thing like in um, minority communities, people think, wait a minute, people chase the big scores that are never real. And then the slow ones think, oh, this is some BS. Like there's literally somebody that posted on the page. He said, so you mean to tell me if I invest $1,000, I get 1584 after five years, I can make that in a month in the stock market. I didn't even respond because the only response I had was like, it was snide because again, 
okay, so you mean to tell me you get a 700% annualized return in a month? I said, I need to come work for you then. It's just not how money works. And it's just breaking down those misconceptions about how money works. It's never, money is like, I use this tree analogy. It's like planting a seed. Like, let's say you want an apple. You're hungry for an apple, right? You want an apple. You want a supply of apples that last you and your family a lifetime and beyond. You plant a seed, you water it. Here comes the trunk. Here comes eventually, then it grows up. Eventually, here comes the branches. Here comes the leaves. Then comes the fruits, but they're sour. They're not ripe yet. Then they're ripe, and that's when you pluck them. And that's when you have them. And it'll keep giving you apple because the tree is already there. That's the same way money works. It takes a hell of a long time for it to get there, fruit to come to you. But once you have it, you have it forever. Mm, You know what I'm saying? And as people don't understand it, they think like, okay, and it's absurd. I plant a seed now, I have an apple tomorrow. It's like, I don't know what the heck you're thinking. And, some, and people actually think, no, there's things I can get my return like right away. No, I cannot. It doesn't work that way. What's up, everyone? Stacey Ike here from the Human to Human podcast and Recovering Perfectionist. If you're looking to explore your interpersonal relationships, have a safe space to reflect without shame, and deep dive into the many layers of being human, then come hang out with me on the Human to Human podcast where I go deep with your favorite celebrities, tastemakers, and thought leaders. Be sure to check out and subscribe to Human to Human with Stacey Ike. That's the number two, not the word two, brought to you by the Revolt Podcast Network. I'll see you there. I'm glad you bring that up because a lot of people do think that because they see the way some things are marketed right now, like with certain courses... And certain things of like, oh, you can get this type of return whenever you do this or like what? It's just different things like people are showing people that you can make certain things through Forex or you can make this through. Oh, Lord. Or you can make this through. But they're not showing them the negative side that, okay, if you're leveraging this much, if you're trying to make this 700 percent return, they don't show them you might have to strike out. 10 times losing at 300%. That's, look, that's an excellent, 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 brilliant point. Here's the thing. Anytime there are high returns, this is just a function of how money works. If there's high returns, there's high risk. You do not avoid it. It's mm-hmm. like they come together. What's that thing that you play with as kids where one sits here and it goes up? What is it called? <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? This is how it works. And if you sit here, like, it's not how money works. At the same time, though, there are people that are very sophisticated, that know how to trade, that understand how the markets work. They're professionals. They can make money from it. But even them, like you said, they'll strike out a bunch of times, but they'll score big, which will, they'll come out ahead with the losses they took. Like they even venture capital funds, the ones that make 2,000 X returns from Uber or early investors in Facebook, they have a lot of wannabe Facebooks that they lost money on. In fact, the rule of thumb that they say is one out of 10. One out of 10, which means 90% of the deals go bust. And then they have one, but that's the one people see now, isn't it? They see the one that goes really, really well. And they think that it's everything that goes really, really well, you know? And it's just not how things work. But yes, I don't know much about like day trading because that's not my investment Mm -hmm. strategy. I look at things like basic common sense. Okay, is this something that I think people will use 10 years from now? Because inflation will... Inflation will mean there's more dollars in circulation and this and that. So if inflation goes up, so does the cost of goods, which means that revenue will go up and this and that. So they'll be, they'll be growing over time. So you feel like it'll be here 10 years from now? That's what I would invest in. That's mm-hmm. what I would invest in. Somebody that has a one-month investment thesis, I don't pretend to be an expert because I know nothing about it. It's not a game I want to play. This to me is like rolling the dice. But that said, there are professionals that know how to have like these things here. 
Forex, on the other hand, that just seems too risky for me. That just seems too risky. And it's, you know, it's funny. I had a conversation. Somebody said, she was, she was saying like, yeah, you can make it risk-free. I was like, there's no such thing. Yes, you can. Or there's no such thing. But I've done it. I said, no, you haven't. I said, are you counting my pockets? I said, if you really was about that life, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Here's <laughs> what it is. There's the facts, though, because you don't have to argue with what you know. Right, we wouldn't. And it's not thing is there's like, she's talking about, oh, I need to make, and, and other conversations were saying, I need to make this money, da 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 Like, so like, I'm like, if you really was about that Forex life, you'd be off, you'd be like, you'd be quiet. On the charts. You wouldn't be over there trying to get me you, to do this shit. Like, you would be minding your business. It's not even so much just like, yeah, yeah, I'm just, 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 you'd be minding your business and hoping nobody would catch up to you and, and find out how much money you got. You know, that's what you would be doing. So, I mean, but look, I don't know anything. Like, I haven't, I've just seen, I saw a guy actually, because I did look into it years ago. There was a young kid who was like this really, really smart at stock trading. He was doing it for the university. And I said, you're doing Forex. Like, yes. What kind of returns are you getting? I'm getting 15 to 18%. It's like, that's sweet. You're really doing that? Yes. But it comes with fucking headache because it's like this. But over time, it's like 15 to 18, which is outstanding. But is it worth the anxiety, the panic attacks, the headache? Uh, like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my money this month. And like, oh my God, I'm so ahead. Like, I don't, it's like, it's like financial schizophrenia. It's like being financially bipolar. It's not a, I don't know. I just like my shit steady, man. Yeah. Slow and steady win the race, for sure. That's right. That's right. So, Philip, my brother, we're going to pivot to the last segment of the show. We want to ask you, what's on your timeline? So, what's something that you've seen on social media that you just want to talk about, man? It could be anything. It could be anything. Like, what I have on my timeline, I use Twitter usually for news because it's like a micro news outlet. I don't use the paper anymore. I can just scroll through. I can get a good idea of what I have a list and I get what I want to see. However, something popped up about 50 Cent lost an appeal in a lawsuit against Rick Ross because apparently in 2015, Rick Ross had used a sample from 50 Cent in the club, which, you know, everybody knows that song. And he had used a sample. And, you know, those two guys don't really get along too well. And then 50 Cent sued him. According to the contract, however, See, and this is the thing people don't understand, ownership, ownership. You can live in a building and say, this is my building. Not really. You live there, but it's not yours. Or, you know, you can, <laughs> you can say somebody that works at BWR, that's right, it's my company. Well, if you do something bad, you're gone, right? Like this, you, know, you get what I'm saying? And 50, he sued based on the fact that he wrote the song, sang it, but Dr. Dre and Eminem owned the song. So this lawsuit was dismissed because he didn't own the rights to the music that he put out. So it got dismissed. He has no say, even though he was the artist performing the song. They said in the lawsuit, well, this is Dr. Dre and Eminem. They own the rights to this song. They didn't sue. You did. You have no rights to sue. You have no claim. It might have, he, even though he sang the song and wrote it, it might as well be a 50 Cent fan that sued Rick Ross. That's how the court looked at it. And I just thought that was interesting because people really uh, don't think often much about how ownership of assets really work. And it made me think about how a guy like Michael Jackson once he stopped, people say, oh, Mike fell off. The reason he fell off is because he became a billionaire on the low. No one knew. So he's like, I don't never have to do it. Then they said he was broke. But he's like, he never had to do anything again. Because when he signed, like, it, it just, I know it's a bit of a going off on a tangent. Back in 93, 94, he signed a deal with Sony, which had just come into the music business. And he had like a catalog. You guys heard about when he bought the Beatles? Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the Beatles. They always say it's just the Beatles. You can look up his own Wikipedia right now who Every artist that Michael Jackson owns is practically every artist in existence from Madonna to Prince to, no, not Prince, not Prince. I don't think he was on there, but everybody that you know, 
So he signed the deal, said, okay, they're going to pay him $100 million for like four or five albums. On top of that, they're going to do a joint venture with Sony's uh, publishing, which didn't include Michael Jackson's own song. That belonged to him. Like all his music belonged to him. It was just the uh, Beatles and he had Little Richard and like all the rock and roll black artists from the 50s. He owned those. Then he put that into, that was his half of the joint venture and Sony had this, their half of the joint venture. And Sony would manage it, but they couldn't do anything drastic without having to get Mike's approval. Now that gives Michael Jackson power, right? Now Sony then goes out from 94, whatever, all the way up until 2000 and becomes the largest music publishing company in the world. Remember, Mike owned 50% of that. So that became worth like three, four billion. Michael Jackson owns 50% of that. He does not have to make music. Remember, like his music basically became whack after that. It was like he wasn't doing anything. Then he came out when he was old and washed up, tried to do another record. Like I'm back. And it was just terrible because he's too rich. Who is like, you know, he's not hungry. He's like, okay, I have the best album. I'm a billionaire. What, what, what am I doing? Let me just travel the world with my kids. You know, that type of stuff. And play with my whatever Disney world I got at home. So that's just that ownership. And owning, you can see it right now, anybody listening, go Sony slash ATV Publishing, and you can see every single artist. Now, ATV Publishing is Michael Jackson's publishing company that owned the Beatles, Little Richard, and so on and so forth. He put that in the joint venture. It was with Equity Contribution, owned half. Sony went out and bought everything. But every time they buy something, Mike owns half. And they were mad that's as crazy. hell. Yeah, he was mad as hell. That's, like, that's why he always said it was a conspiracy to try to take it away from me. But... He had that power, and 50 Cent didn't have that power. So now he looks bad to the public losing a lawsuit to Rick Ross. So it's just the whole thing about ownership and equity. Like Jay-Z and Beyonce, everything is equity. Beyonce says, pay me in equity. You know? It's just mm-hmm. and that whole business boss mindset. And that's what you guys are exhibiting with everything that you're doing. And, and I hope you continue to inspire people in that regard. I know it was a little long-winded, but I hope it makes sense. Oh, man. Hey, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate the anecdote because, you know, people really yeah, need them examples. Like. Too. Let me I said I'm gonna look this up too. Go look up Sony slash ATV. Matter of fact, like we can do uh real quickly. Sony ATV. Sony ATV. Just look it up. Sony ATV Wikipedia. And let's read some of these artists. And it comes right up. It comes uh right up. The artists are Sony ATV Music Publisher. And it literally says there is 4.68 million songs. And assess what the value is. This is not a secret. Michael, they never would say Michael Jackson was a billionaire, but that's what it is. And then you can go down there and look. List of Sony ATV music publishing artists. There are so many. Let's just look at A. Africa Bombada, Akon, Angie Stone, and then some other rock people I don't even know. B2K, Babyface, Backstreet Boys, Bahamen, like that. Who let the dogs out? Michael Jackson owned that shit. Beck, Beanie Man, Beverly Knight. Billy Ocean, Black Eyed Peas, Bob Dylan, Boys to Men, Bruce Springsteen, Brian Adams, like artists like that on that level. You can go to, I'm pretty sure Madonna's there too. Let me go down and look. Uh-huh. Maxwell, no, Madonna's not there. Okay, all right. He didn't get that one. But everybody. So that's, that's true ownership. So the man like, and so when they heard, if you guys look back, if you guys want to look into some trivia, they actually sold a piece of Michael Jackson's his take in the estate in that publishing company, his estate sold it for, I think it was 750 million. And people say, wow, they're doing so good by Michael Jackson. $750 million, a lot of money. Well, that would put the valuation at $1.5 billion. Wouldn't it? Half of that is 1.5 billion. That motherfucker's worth like four or five. 
So Mike, he got the shaft even in his grave, man. They weren't playing around with it because they were mad at him because they couldn't do nothing without him because he has to prove. Mm-hmm. But they're spending all the money to buy it. Meanwhile, he's just sitting back becoming richer and richer without doing anything. And then he's coming out in the public. He's not, he, they say he wasn't like that privately. He, he, I just want to make music. Nah, he's making shark moves behind the scene and they were mad. So, but those are real facts, ownership. And it applies to anything that you do. And you can never, was nobody... that, that, was, that was that video on Vlad that was saying like, yeah, Eddie Michael, Griffin. Michael Jackson really was that dude. Like, oh, Eddie Griffin. He, he didn't get the facts right though. He got the facts a little wrong. The acquisition price was $47.5 million. The lawyer that put it together with this guy named Branca. John Branca, I think his name was. And it wasn't why he was with the B, because Paul McCartney didn't even own it. Paul McCartney had dibs on buying it along with John Lennon's wife, and they thought it was overpriced. Michael Jackson didn't care, so he overpaid for it. He paid 40 It sounds nice the way he's telling it, and, it is, and I suppose it is true somewhat, because Paul McCartney, when he found out, he did get mad, because Michael Jackson controlled it. He said, Michael, why are you using the Beatles in these commercials? And he's like, hey, Paul, this is good business, you know? It's just good business. And he was butthurt. It's like, you're cheapening the Beatles sauce. Like, you're just emotional. And meanwhile, he was doing real well by the black publishing, the black families that, like, from Little Richard. He would pay them out well. So he wouldn't be as nice to the Beatles guys. So, it's a little hey, Power of ownership in many ways, man. You can, you can control, own, and help your own people. I love it. I love yep. hearing it, man. So, that's just something. That's what you guys are doing. Building and owning. That's it. And that's what we got to do. That's why it's so important. Because, again, this goes back to the initial thing that I said. What's the number one driver behind the wealth gap? Think about this. Common sense. Absence of ownership. Mm-hmm. But all the spending goes through here, and I don't. So it's very important. Let's own hey, people. Let's own some shit. So, my, Philip, my brother, we appreciate you hopping on the pod with us. Could you please plug yourself in? Let the people know how they can. Tap in with you, where they can invest in nice companies, uh, the Temple Project. Just let yes. them know how they can get with you. All right. So my Instagram is YFWTB, YFWTB. And my Facebook is, which is just now getting started, but there's like a little bit of action there. It's called is Real Estate Wealth Hacking. I do a show twice a week there where I just take, I call it 10 questions. We're starting it next week where we're just answering questions about real estate and ownership and talk about the type of stuff we do right now. So uh, it was just at 11 a.m. in the morning. In terms of how to get involved with the Temple Project, it's on republic.co uh, slash temple. Just go in my bio. It's in my bio. It's just like, just look up Temple and Republic and you'll find it. So if you want to be part of $79, the reason, because that's the amount I came to New York with. So it was a cool thing to bring it full circle. People can kickstart their journey for the same amount. So not that $79 is going to turn into a million. You jump in the pool, now it's time to learn how to swim. So. Mm-hmm. And it's sink or swim, hey. and you won't sink, so you'll be just fine. Hey, let's go. So you let us know all the information. We're going to make sure to tag it down in the show hey. notes. Yes. Uh, once again, bro, we appreciate you hopping on the show. Before we wrap this thing up, we're going to hop into a little couple house cleaning items. So okay. first and foremost, I want to say thank you to everybody that listens to the podcast week in and week out. Like we always tell y'all, the growth's been crazy. Y'all keep sharing this thing with y'all family, y'all friends, the people, and uh, spreading this message because we just trying to spread as much knowledge and light as possible. So that's what Black Wolf Renaissance is all about. So y'all just keep doing that. Y'all the best, man. Jalen Kelly, Jerry, y'all got anything? I just want to say y'all definitely, definitely donate to our laptop fundraiser where we are trying to raise $50,000 worth of money so we can donate to the state of Louisiana for laptops and distance learning. Uh, y'all check out the link in the show notes for that. 
and y'all also purchase our book managing money like the one percent it's a step-by-step guide on how you can change your mindset about money how you can actually stop the bleeding how you can start a safety net start you a little nest egg how you can start paying down some debt and we also talk about ways where you can get into investing we go through beginner intermediate and advanced so y'all definitely check that out i just want to say i appreciate everybody for listening and keep supporting us and like david said before keep sharing and let's keep this growth going uh, i think everybody needs to hear this yes indeed well with that said family this is black wolf renaissance signing out Hey. Hey. I got money on my mind I'm just trying to get some dough I ain't picking up my lot Unless it's money on the phone Gotta get it on the daily All I want is dubs, you know what I'm on I've been chasing after paper All I know is run money marathon My brother-in-law died suddenly And now my sister and her kids Have to sell their home That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.